that cycle of newness and what else is there to talk about is really exhausting for everyone and it's an unsustainable pattern of behavior i don't i don't know if well we can't keep going that way and i feel strongly that rather than just adding more maybe it's about reimagining what we already have and framing it differently Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome to episode 106 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Two quick things before we jump into today's interview episode with such an amazing guest. Firstly, I'm announcing the winners of the 100 episode competition. So I'm just going to go through those. We will also be contacting you if we can through Instagram or email. And so, yeah, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who entered that and the lucky winners of the $100 vouchers to use for anything on the My Daily Business Coach website are Caroline Roberts, Bryony Flip, Gemma Nugent, Engaged Creative, Kathy Sutherland, Scandy Hart, Kasula Chase, Miriam Jane 27, Michelle U, and Faye Ann from Schutzpah Creative. So if you have heard your name, I feel like a teacher, if you've heard your name called out, but if you've heard your name and you haven't yet received an email or a DM from us, please get in touch. Hello at mydailybusinesscoach.com and we can sort out your $100 voucher for you. I'm so excited. Thank you again. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that group coaching is available to enroll in right now. You can find all the details of my 12-month program over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash group coaching, one word. So yeah, get on it if you are keen to work with me and you also want to meet a group of like-minded individuals. Anyone from around the world can come into it as long as you've got internet access because we do meet online. But that is enough. Let's get into today's small business interview. So a while ago, gosh, how long was it ago now? Like seven years ago, my husband and I came back from the UK and we, you know, spent some time living with my parents. We then moved into a rental in Northcote. And at the time we were sort of looking around for just really cool furniture, just interesting things. When we had moved to London, we'd had to buy everything from scratch for our warehouse apartment, which was awesome. But we kind of kitted it out and then we left. And we did ship a whole lot of stuff back from London to Australia. You know, you have accumulate a lot of stuff over four years, including our dog. We brought her back, but we didn't bring back all of our furniture. And so we'd been looking around and my husband came across this brand 
And he sent it to me and he was like, this is awesome. And in the end, we moved into a rental that had the furniture that we were going to buy from them there. But I've never stopped looking at them and thinking, what a simple but beautiful idea. And also often it's that whole idea with design that, you know, sometimes it's harder to make it simple and to make it something that is not going to date and is not right now on trend, but is beautiful and lasting. And that's exactly what this business is all about. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about Plyroom. And if you haven't checked out their beautiful stuff, definitely go over to plyroom.com.au or check out Plyroom on Instagram. But the woman behind the brand is Elise Heslop. Now, she is one of the most humble and friendly and just lovely people to chat to, but she's also incredibly smart and incredibly just wise. And I think she potentially doesn't give herself credit for that. She started her career as a financial services marketer. And yet she then decided to take this giant really leap of faith, a giant kind of switch in her life and took herself, her husband and her two children off to Italy. And she spent an entire year there. And that is actually where she came up with the idea for what would become Plyroom. And in this interview, she talks about how she made that kind of massive step. How do you go from this career to this other one, which is very different? And also you're in the middle of another country that you're not from, and yet you're coming up with, okay, maybe we could do it like this. Maybe we could do it like that. And you actually want to make a business out of it. I just find it fascinating, firstly, that she'd have the bravery and courageous attitude to be able to completely take a family, including young children, to a different country for a year, but also that in that time that she was courageous enough to follow her dreams of doing something different. And that's exactly what Plyroom is. At first glance, you might look at certain Plyroom products and be like, oh, that's that's this. And yet they can transform into something else or they've been made in such a way that it's just so clever and different and interesting. And like I said before, they're pieces that are built to last and they are not, you know, on trend right now, fast furniture. They're the complete opposite. And also what you'll hear in today's interview is that Elise is quite different to a lot of business owners. She has intentionally stayed small in terms of the range that she produces, but also in terms of you know, not having to grow, 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 get bigger, 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 bigger. And I love that she's honest and open about, you know, the doubts that she's had at times around that, because I think that's something, well, I think I know because I talk to so many small business owners, it's something that a lot of people grapple with, particularly as potentially they see other people get bigger and bigger, bigger. And they sort of think, is that where I'm supposed to go? And one of the things that I love most about Elise's journey is that she stayed true to what she wanted to create, the lifestyle that she wants to have and the business that she wants to have. And she's also true to her ideas that we don't all need more, more, more. What we need is better. And that's exactly what Plyroom provides. So I loved chatting to Elise. I have followed her business journey. I think what she's doing is amazing. I think she's a very humble person who doesn't, like I said, give herself enough credit. But I hope that she listens to this podcast today and realizes how much insight, wisdom and knowledge that she has and that she's so generously shared with my audience. So thank you so much, Elise, for coming on to the podcast and for sharing your journey And I just know that it'll inspire so many other people. So here it is, my interview with Elise Heslop, founder of Plyroom. 
Welcome, Elise, to the podcast. How are you feeling about life right now? Oh, um, well, thanks for having me, Fiona. I'm I'm really excited to be doing this, first of all. And yeah, about life in general, I feel pretty positive and fortunate right now. Last year feels a bit like another life that we've just kind of, you know, tried to move on from. Uh, just come back from a weekend away, which was really nice. And more generally, I think my kids are a little bit older. They're at a really good age. There's a bit more of that mental freeing up that comes with older kids, which I think is probably only temporary, but I'm enjoying it. And it's giving me a bit of space to think about my life and what I want to be doing with it and, you know, making time to spend time with family and friends, get outside more, start learning new things again. Yeah. So all up, feeling pretty good. <laughs> oh, how nice. Did you go anywhere fun? Yeah, went to went to Adelaide with my husband. So that was our first trip away together for a really long time. And it was great fun. It was so nice. Yeah. And you dared to go interstate. I know. Ooh. It was it was nerve-wracking. Yeah. And I don't yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be getting on a plane anytime soon. But yeah, it was a really fun thing to do. It was something we had planned before lockdown and yeah, it was nice to make it happen. So it was oh. good. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, we're so lucky here in Australia that we can travel, albeit, you know, within our state usually, or just I feel like everyone's just tentatively kind of thinking, maybe I'll branch out to New South Wales or, or South Australia or Tasmania, but it's a big thing. It feels it's a big. big. Thing. It does, yeah. it does, it totally does. And I'm hanging for that mental space that you just talked about with my two-year-old. He's gonna be two in a month. Yeah. I just I can I can see it with my sister. Her kids are now all at primary school and high school and she's got that mental space a little bit. So well done. Yeah. Getting through it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It does, yeah. It's funny when you're in it, it feels like it's never going to happen and then you look back and it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't even remember when they were two. That, was, that feels like a lifetime ago. Yes, yes. Thank you. And so people would have heard me talk about Plyroom in the intro just now and, and how I think it was my husband that discovered it first and just such beautiful things that you produce. But for people who are listening who don't know what Plyroom is, can you let us know kind of how you describe the business and also why you started it? Yeah, sure. So put simply, I guess Plyroom is a furniture design studio and a, a lifestyle brand as well, I guess. Our focus is primarily on simple living and, and slowing down. So we design furniture that is intentionally understated and really, I guess, just create, trying to create a, a blank canvas for your home and for, for you to fill your home with things that you love in your life. It's, our furniture isn't loud. It's not trend-based. It's, yeah, it's meant to sit quietly. I guess in terms of why I started it, it, it kind of started organically whilst I was living overseas with my family for a year. So when our kids were, I've got two boys, they're now 13 and 14, but when they were four and five, we packed up four suitcases and moved to Northern Italy for a year. I quit my job and my husband kind of managed his while we were over there. We went from living in a house with a little backyard in inner city Melbourne to living in a pretty small two-bedroom apartment. And I guess during that time, I just realised how much simpler, I mean, obviously I wasn't, you know, I didn't have the burden of work at, the, at that time, but I just realised how much simpler it was 
to live with less things and live in spaces that are just a little bit smarter and furniture that can kind of do more. So I grew attached to this idea and I wanted to bring an element of that back to our life in Australia. So I guess that's, that is where it started. Why I started it, I became attached to this idea of just having less stuff and living more simply and wanting to bring that or an element of that back to our life in Australia. The winter was really long over there. So I did spend quite a bit of time online when I didn't have, you know, other things to do. And I came across some really beautiful furniture online and the architects and designers that made those furniture, those furniture pieces, they didn't, they weren't that far away. So I, you know, emailed and took a train ride and had some conversations and found that their values were really similar to mine. And yeah, I wanted to bring what they created into Australia, but with an Australian version or an Australian flavor and create products that embody that ethos of just getting back to basics a little bit more and trying not to complicate things too much. Wow. Oh my God, there's so much goodness in that. <laughs> Firstly, I'm so jealous that you spent time overseas in Italy. <laughs> it was it was pretty good. I mean, we did we planned it maybe three years prior and kind of just worked our butts off to save and, you know, get it, get it, get all of our ducks in a row. But yeah, it was definitely worth it. And anyone that's thinking of doing it, I mean, obviously not right now, but that's thinking of doing something like that in the future, I would just say absolutely do it. It was the best thing we ever did. Oh, and did he cook pasta or eat lots of pasta and pizza? And Yeah, we ate lots of pasta, lots of pizza, lots of vegetables. We oh. ate nowhere near as much meat as we did. We don't eat much meat anymore, but yeah, our diet changed quite a bit. It just, yeah, it was wonderful. Wow. And I love just that scene of, you know, you on a train ride. I've traveled throughout Italy on trains and it, oh, just so beautiful. <laughs> sounds I'm sure maybe it wasn't but it sounds so picturesque traveling out to see furniture makers in Italy yeah it was exciting definitely and I wasn't you know it wasn't a stealing beauty moment that's for sure but (laughs) um, but it was it was pretty exciting and and really amazing to know that they were interested in in working with one person that hadn't done something like this before it was a leap of faith for them too so yeah it was great (laughs) Wow. And so when you started it, or when, you know, you'd met with these people and they kind of, you'd come to the agreement and they had the same values. Did you know that this is going to be a, like inverted commas, proper business mm. that you would, that would kind of sustain you and your family? Or did you start off thinking it's just going to be a small thing? Maybe I'm just going to do like one piece and sell it at markets. Or, or did you always know this is going to be a business? I think I wanted to create a business. I mentioned the idea to my husband and he's he's got a small business as well and he's I remember he said to me, you know, Ellie out of all of the ideas that you've had, this is probably the one that's going to work. I think it's probably your best idea. And I thought, well, that's good enough for me. I'll, you know, I'll get in there and and give it a go. So I I tried to do all of the right things at the start. I, you know, wrote a business plan and wrote a marketing plan and did market research and tried to understand what, you know, I guess what the pitfalls were of, you know, dealing with distribution internationally. And yeah, so I I did set a plan that I wanted to have a business that would provide a small 
salary for me after, you know, a few years of running it at, I guess, a loss after I was recouping costs and and things like that. So, yeah, it was definitely, I mean, I wasn't 100% sure it was going to work, but I I'd planned for it to work as much as I could. Oh, nice. And I love that you have a supportive partner who was like, yes, go for it. Yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> it was that or going back to corporate and I was going to do everything in my power not to go back to that really busy life because it took a toll. Yeah, definitely. I have, I have been there with you. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start the business? What year? 2013. Okay. Eight years ago now. Wow. Okay. And so since you've had the business and been running it, you know, pre-COVID and then COVID hit and, you know, even right now I have clients where things are literally stuck on boats. How has life with COVID impacted the way that you run your business? Good question. So I think it's made me think about planning for all sorts of scenarios that I'd never really considered in the past. At the moment, we've got, I think anyone who's importing or using materials for for their businesses, you know, material costs are going up. Shipping is very expensive and unreliable. It's very hard to get things on boats, like you said. I think, you know, that has all made me think a lot more about what the focus should be with this business in terms of the product mix. Maybe five years ago, I started designing and having products made locally to, I guess, build up our stable of of products. And I have been putting a lot more focus on the local design and manufacture of our range. I mean, I'm still, we're still obviously bringing in products from Italy and I I love working with our suppliers and manufacturers over there and that's not going to change. But there's definitely more of a view to local production and simplifying, I guess, our supply chain. Mm-hmm. Which is great because you've kind of got the best of both worlds then. You've got your supporting local industry and, and bringing things in. So can I ask, being in Italy and deciding to do this and kind of going forward and, and even with your partner's support, was that something that you had, like that confidence, was that something because of your upbringing, like were your parents small business owners or were they somehow in the furniture or design scene so that you thought, yes, I can have an idea and I can go and get stuff made in Italy and sell it in Australia. How did your kind of upbringing influence what you're doing? Well, first of all, I think it's important to note my mother was born in Italy, so I have Italian heritage. So that definitely, you know, tells part of the story. I was born in Perth and moved with my parents and brother to Brisbane and then later to Melbourne. So my upbringing, I guess, was flexible and I learned to adapt to new environments quite well but my parents they just worked hard my dad was in a corporate job my mum was a teacher and then she became a real estate agent and then later in life when my kids were babies she she opened her own boutique in Perth so I guess mum definitely has a penchant for design and she's got amazing taste. So that would have had an influence. My brother, Matt, who he has a business as well called the Little Veggie Patch Co. He had an entrepreneurial bug from early on. And I think that 
probably he, with him and mum doing what she did and then my dad later on when he retired, he kind of started doing his own thing. I, it definitely would have washed off on me and made me realise that, you know, you can try things and they don't have to be your lifelong career. You can try things if they don't work, it's okay. You can move to something else. Yeah, it's just important to have support behind you and I guess to have a bit of a backup plan as well. Oh, I love that. And your family sounds awesome. And I love, especially your mum. I mean, obviously I'm not alluding to any kind of age, but any woman in the generation before us doing things on her own or swapping careers, like that was big. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah, she's a she's a powerhouse for sure. And my dad is her number one fan. So he's very, very supportive. And he would have played a big role in, you know, making her see what she had to offer and encourage her to to chase her dreams as well, which is really great. Oh, what a lovely upbringing to have. Gosh, that's really amazing to have that just all around you and, and be kind of taking it in, even if you're not even aware of taking it in. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, obviously I was very lucky and you're right. I guess you don't really realise it or think about it until you're asked a question like that and it makes you take pause and reflect on, yeah, these people have actually, you know, really helped shape where I am now. Yeah. And in turn, your kids will look at your story and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, they travelled to Italy and they did this and mum started this and not be the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I love is in your marketing, you talk a bit about staying kind of intentionally small. And I know that I was lucky enough to attend your sold out event, Small, which was part of the Melbourne Design Week this year. And you ran that with Tate Stokes of Coco Flip. But yeah, I'd love to know firstly, like, why is this the case that you wish to stay small? And also, what do you think makes people feel like success is only of a big, big, big? Because I love what you're doing, but I'm imagining that it's hard at the same time for people to kind of start out doing something like you're doing, thinking, oh, I could make a living, but still stay small. I don't have to go big, big, big. So sorry, that was quite a packed question. No, no, that's okay. It's lots, there's lots in it. So I think being intentionally small came from, and tell me if I'm not answering part of the question as well. So when I did start my business, I spoke to a lot of people who would say to me or they'd ask me, you know, how many stockists do you have? What's new in your collection? They were the, I guess, the questions that would help people categorize if my business was worth their time or if they they thought that it was going to be a success or not. And for the first few years, I definitely was influenced a lot by what other people were doing and what the normal indicators of success were. I did speak to business coaches when I was feeling conflicted and there did seem to be a bit of a push to follow this path of, you know, you need to have a certain number of stockists and we need to be talking about, you know, what's new. And I remember feeling like that wasn't, it didn't sit right with me anyway. I think I also remember, and it might've been something at the time, you know, the early, like 2012, 2013, I remember hearing and reading a lot that, you know, growth plus hustle equals success. And that was how you got, you know, to where you needed to be. And I really don't like the word hustle. I actually, it's something I, I just hate it. I, oh my God. Speaking <laughs> of it, yeah. It's like, I just, you know, hard work is, is fine. And obviously that's part of it, but hustle just sounds, it just sounds really mean. And 
I don't know why, but I just don't like it. <laughs> no, I just always feel like it seems it's got like a negative, like hustle, 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 like fast, 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 fast. Like it's yeah. always, and I always feel like a hustler is never, it's never a good thing. It's like, oh, he's a bit of a hustler. Like, yeah, and it's not honest. No, it's something. Not honest. The yeah. Isn't there. And I feel like, yeah, words like alignment or, yeah, like work. You have to do the work, but you That's don't have it. to hustle necessarily. Sorry. Exactly. No, no, I know. I, you put it way better than I could have. <laughs> so at the start, you know, I, and even now, you know, you plan for, well, not now actually, but planning for growing revenue at a certain rate each year or growing stockers or think about adding, adding new products to the range. I would, you know, be looking at new markets and new ways to get on that path and, I did come to a point after a while where I realized that that wasn't working for me and I was doing what I thought was the right thing, but it just, there was a real disconnect between even the business and what I was trying to do with this business, you know, emphasizing that simplicity and slowing down is actually part of what makes life more enjoyable. And then behind the scenes, just, you know, working weekends and doing so much more than I thought I needed to or doing the things that didn't seem aligned to the values of the business. So yeah, I think, sorry, that's part of the answer to the question, but there was definitely that time at the start where I felt like that was what I needed to do. And I remember the father of a friend saying to me, what did he say? He said, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. Um, mm. And I just remember thinking, you're so right. Like, why am I even looking at that top line number? I shouldn't, that shouldn't be the, the focus. And growth doesn't necessarily mean that the business is sustainable and profitable and it's enabling me to do the things that I want to do. So the first few years, there was a lot of experimentation and review and it only I guess maybe the last two or three years, it's only really started to come into clear focus for me that my priorities need to align with my personal values and the values of my business. And I, I think that that has really helped crystallize how I want to move forward. And being small is part of that, recognizing that, you know, the furniture that I design or that we import, That's it's not going to be for everybody and that's okay. There are going to be people that really understand and appreciate where the design of this furniture or the way that it's made or the materials that we use, where all that comes from. And they're the ones that, you know, I think are important on this business journey. It's not about selling to everybody. It's That's never going to work. It's not going to work for me either. And I didn't start my business to, you know, rival the power brokers in the financial review. I wanted to create a business that, you know, gave me more flexibility, helped me provide for my family, of course, but also feeds me creatively and does something more than just selling more stuff. So I think that's where the small aspect comes into it and really just being true to keeping it simple. Oh, I love that and could not agree more. And actually I'm working with somebody, Anne-Marie Sargent, who heads up Authentic Design Alliance and just the numbers, the, the numbers of stuff that is getting thrown out, like furniture that's just sort of fast furniture. And yeah, she's just she's just a powerhouse of information about that. But it's really shocking because I think what you're doing is amazing because there is so much consumer culture of just buy it and we'll just replace it in mm. a year. It doesn't really matter. 
and we forget that that's all just going into landfill, like a lot of it. That's right. I think if we all actually had to care, our council has changed the way that we do our recycling. And so our recycling bin only gets collected every fortnight. And it's just when you've got to keep all that rubbish, even a bit longer, even just keeping it with you, it makes you realise how much waste you're producing. And it really does make you think about what you're doing a lot more. So yeah, I agree with you. Yes, it's such an interesting topic. And so on that when you were saying, you know, at the start when you had stockists and, you know, you thought sort of thought they'd be like, oh, where's your new collection and where's the new, you know, fun stuff and we've seen this before. What kind of advice would you give to someone listening who's maybe in their earlier stages than you and they're thinking the same thing like, oh, but I need to design, you know, whether it's fashion or homeware or something else, well, I need to have a new collection out every six months or I need to have a new thing out every quarter. Like mm. how have you kind of worked around that or or around that need, I guess, or want that a lot of stockers will have of we need to, you know, something new, something exciting. Yeah, look, it is definitely a challenge and having a new range every season gives you something to talk about with stockists. But I also think that cycle of newness and what else is there to talk about is really exhausting for everyone. And it's an unsustainable pattern of behaviour. I don't, I don't know if well, we can't keep going that way. And I feel strongly that rather than just adding more, maybe it's about reimagining what we already have and framing it differently. And I think with my business, I realized that I wasn't going to be designing a new range every six months. That's just not, it wasn't sustainable for me. It wasn't what my business was about. And I really believed in the products that I sold, but of course, it was important to contextualize them differently. So, you know, adding a small a small range on the side of homewares that wasn't something that we kept all the time just to, I guess, change up the way that we contextualize our products. And I'm certainly not immune to the appeal of the new. I do love, I love seeing what's new and what other people are doing because it's exciting and it's stimulating and it's interesting. But I think there are different ways to do that. And I think it makes you feel good when you're not, you're not throwing stuff out all the time. And, you know, you're actually investing in what you have and really thinking about whether the product works, evolving it, adapting it based on customer feedback, that, that can feel just as good. And it can also give you something else to talk about as well. It doesn't have to just be a new thing. Yeah, I love that. And I know on your Instagram, you do talks or you do like Instagram TV or reels or, you know, about, you know, your packaging or what you're doing behind the business to be more sustainable or what you're doing this or, you know, how many books can you fit comfortably on this shelf without <laughs> like, so there's so much, there's so much content. I think people, yeah, get stuck in the trap of new, 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 new. What are we saying about this next next campaign and this campaign rather than like even when I work with clients and we talk about campaigns, especially product-based businesses, instantly it's always about, oh, we got this new collection is coming out. But it's like, what about other campaigns? What about figurehead marketing or sustainability or women we love? Or, you know, there's other things you can talk about that your the audience is going to connect with rather than always just the next, the next, the next. It's true. It's kind of like when you if we can all remember back when we used to travel and you would go, you would go and you know, those crazy tours where you would visit like, I don't know, 10 cities in 10 days and you would just get a tiny little bit of that city and imagine like 
staying in just one city and just going really deep and understanding the city and learning more about the culture. It's it's a little bit that contrast where if you're just putting stuff out all the time, people really never get to know what's behind the product and understand it the way that you might as well. Mm, I love that. I love your idea of reimagining what's already there. And so in your business, you're nearing a decade, which is amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what have you had to learn during your time in business to sort of up-level or to just, you know, thrive? And I guess what would be three things that have been maybe the hardest to learn? So I think I've had to learn to stop being a people pleaser. These are kind of more, you know, personal things that I've had to learn. So yeah, I just need to, I needed to learn to say no and to really assess things in line with my values rather than just saying yes to everything. And there was definitely a time when I would just say yes to everything. And that, that was good because I learned a lot from that. But yeah, that was, that was one key lesson. In line with that, it's trusting my intuition and listening to my inner voices uh, and maybe turning the volume down a bit on the negative ones. If things hadn't hadn't felt right in the past, it, it was pretty clear that there was a there was a reason why, and I may not have been able to put my finger on it at the time. But looking back in hindsight, it always seemed to have been the right decision to you know to trust that inner voice. And I think becoming or being more comfortable with looking at the numbers. I think early on. As I said, I was I was focusing on revenue and I wasn't really looking at a lot of other numbers in the business. And I think that was an important lesson for me. And when I didn't feel comfortable looking at the numbers or understanding them, working with people or finding people that were going to help me get more comfortable with it, that was that was really important. I think the hardest one to learn was trusting my intuition. And also being comfortable with iteration and evolution. So I did want to make everything perfect, but learning that you don't have to, it doesn't have to be perfect from the very beginning. If it needs changing, you can change it. No one's watching your business as much as you think they are. And it's okay to evolve and iterate. Oh, you can't see me, but I'm literally like nodding my head like that. <laughs> tough lessons to learn but important I guess oh, they are and especially I think that trusting your intuition is such an important thing and I often you know I work with data a lot but I'll say mm. to people there's two ways one look at the data two trust your feelings like yes. because they both need to work like yes if you trust your feelings and you've got the data to kind of back that up that's even better yeah but I think too often we like I know that I've had two problem clients in six years and both times I wish I had trust my intuition because both times I was like, mm, this doesn't feel right. But I just was like, no, no, it's good money. It's whatever. Yeah. That's it. You know from the start, don't you? You really, yeah. you feel it. And even, I mean, as kids, you know, when your kids are little and they say they've got a sore tummy or they feel funny in their tummy, I sometimes reflect on that and think that was their intuition telling them that something wasn't right. And we've, we've unlearned that as adults, I think. And it's, you know, it's hard to say to someone, you're justifying something based on your gut feeling, but at times, I mean, well, it is, and it's, it's often right. 
Oh, I know. And side note, and for people outside of Australia, you won't be able to access this, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, do you ever watch Insight on SBS? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Me too. And they just had intuition as the topic recently. Oh, it's in the zeitgeist. I must have <laughs> absorbed it telepathically. <laughs> yes, yes. I think oh, I'm so interested in all of that stuff. And so you mentioned before that you reached out to, I'm guessing, and it was an accountant or a bookkeeper or someone to help you with the financial numbers Mm -hmm. you said before. Have you had any other kind of people that you've had to or that you've, you know, reached out to like coaches or mentors or even books or like a mantra or quotes or anything that's been really pivotable, pivotable, pivotal, (laughs) pivotal, oh my God, I can't get my words out today, really important and helped you in your business? Absolutely. I love quotes. My favorite quote is comparison is the thief of joy because I do find that I can sometimes get into that comparison death spiral where I'm on Instagram as well. When you're feeling a little bit low or things haven't gone as well as you think, or I don't know, you tend, I don't know what it is about human behavior, but uh, well, I certainly just go into that you know, comparison spiral of looking at what everyone else is doing and thinking, oh, they're so much better and more creative and more clever and this, that and the other one. And so that's the quote that I have to kind of keep reminding myself of because it really does take away the joy of what you've achieved and what you're doing. And so, yeah, it's about putting the blinkers on sometimes and just putting your head down and going, swimming in your lane. (laughs) So that, that quote sticks with me. In terms of mentors and coaches, Fiona Johnson from Peach. She is a business coach slash CFO for hire. She was the person that I worked with for a few years that really helped me stay on track with my numbers and got into the nitty gritty where I didn't really feel comfortable and helped me feel good about my business and how it was progressing. So she, she was amazing. My brother is also, he's also been a bit of a, I mean, hopefully he doesn't hear this because he'll get a big head, but he's very, very supportive and we talk a lot about work and business stuff and he's been a really great sounding board. And in terms of a book, the main book that really helped transform my business was Profit First by Mike, I think it's Mike Kalaki. No, Mike McCowie. Mike your last name's Kalaki. <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't know where this, that would be amazing to have a joint book with Mike McCowie. But yes. Well, I was thinking of your book as well, actually. Enough, so. <laughs> so his his book, I don't know if you, I think you've read it as well, Fiona, haven't you? Yeah, I recommend it to everyone. We do it in Business Book Club. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So really just so good with saving cash flow and getting you on track and making sure you know how much money you've got to spend on certain things. That was That was definitely a game changer for me. Oh, yes. And we'll link to these in the show notes as well. But yeah, Mike McCow, it's Profit First has been such a huge game changer for so many of my clients. I think people have like a love-hate. Some people get it and they're like, yes. And some people like, oh, too much work. Yeah. I'm going to go with Barefoot Investor or something else. Yeah, totally. And then what about technology tools? Are there any that you can't live without or any kind of platforms or things that you use for the business that just are absolutely essential for you? Yes, there's quite a few. So Zero was the first one that definitely just made bookkeeping and accounting so much easier. 
And as the business got a little bit more complicated with pre-orders and us manufacturing products and having components, I subscribed to a system or a platform called Deer Inventory Systems. And that was really helpful just to make sure that we didn't oversell so that we have all of our quotes in one system, our inventory when it's arriving, all of that stuff is is locked in, which is really great. What else? Slack is a system that I use with our studio manager, Katrina, and people that I work with remotely. So that's just really great when you're working with virtual teams or freelancers who aren't always in the office. And it's really like a messaging tool, I guess. And it's just a little bit less formal than email. You can loop people in. I don't know. It just seems to work a lot better than email. Emails just seems to be more of a formal device for us now. Acuity or Acuity, I don't know how you pronounce that, but just for booking appointments. So last year we moved to online, an online booking system for appointments. Our studio or showroom is still just open by appointment. And that way people can, rather than just emailing us and us going back and forth to book appointments, people can just choose a time that suits them that we've got available and it's all it's all done and automated, which has been amazing. And the last one is Receipt Bank, which is now called Dext, I think. And that is just super handy when you've got lots of receipts and invoices coming in. You can photograph your receipt or you can just email it to your Dext account and it basically just categorizes it and feeds it into zero. So you don't have to yeah, go and do it all by yourself. So it's great. Oh, amazing. And you don't have, you know, shoe boxes full of a million. Yes. <laughs> exactly. That's so true. Oh my gosh. No paper. It's wonderful. <laughs> and so you have been in the business for eight years, which is amazing. Is there anything that you would have done differently if you were starting out now? Well, I think everything that I did that I realized was maybe not the right way to go has taught me a valuable lesson. So there's nothing that really stands out as, yeah, something that I should not have done. I think the lesson though is I'm the closest person to my own business. No one else is really watching it or interrogating it as much as I am. So I shouldn't be afraid to to try things and just put things out there. And I think that's part of, you know, the evolution of a business as well, just trying stuff and seeing seeing how it goes. Yes, in, oh, indeed. And on that then, I guess on the flip side of things, being eight years in, what are you most proud of from your business with Plyroom? I think, well, I'm proud that it's still here. <laughs> I'm proud that I've been able to to create something that people see value in and it does give me what I need and, and it fulfills the purpose of why I started the business in the first place. And I'm also really proud that I'm able to give back in business in in a small way. So this financial year was the first year that I was able to become a member of 1% for the planet. And that means that 1% of our revenue goes towards a a not-for-profit, an environmental initiative that, that we're happy to contribute to. And that means a lot for me that you know, we are producing things and we're, we're taking away from the planet from a resource perspective, but we're also trying to give back and, and, and help change the dialogue and make it, you know, make it more of a circular conversation. 
Oh, well done on that. Thank you. Awesome. And so I guess if people are listening to this and they're like, oh, my goodness, she sounds amazing, which, of course, they will, what is the best place or where is the best place for them to connect with you? And I guess also what's next for you? What's coming up? So anyone that wants to to say hi and connect, we have a showroom in Northcote in Melbourne. We're also on Instagram at Plyroom. And those are the two best ways to get in touch with us. And in terms of what's next, I think really it's just about enjoying being physically at work and rebuilding some routines that were lost from last year and being around the studio and the space that we share with our friends at Coco Flip. That's, it's been really nice to, to be back around people again. And then in terms of what's next, I think I'm just really looking forward to learning some new skills and maybe going back to study and doing some other things outside of work and just keeping, obviously keeping Plyroom going and making it better and refining it as, as the years go on. Oh, and couldn't really ask for much more than that, really. No, <laughs> pretty lucky, really. Yeah, and so fun to be with Kate from Coco Flip and that team over there. Do you guys think you'll do any more? I'm putting you on the spot. Do you think you'll do any more events? It was such, <laughs> it's such a great event. So many people talked about it afterwards saying it was like one of the best events I've been to. It was so warm and intimate and, and genuine and lovely. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I think I had to get over the whole vulnerability shock or the, or the vulnerability hangover, I think it was, <laughs> that, um, that you mentioned afterwards. Look, who knows? Maybe we really, I mean, it's always a lot of work putting on events, but it's always so rewarding and fulfilling and just being in a room with so many people that were happy to be there. It was a wonderful feeling. So, you know, never say never. We might. (laughs) Well, we'll make sure that we link to your Instagram and the website in the show notes and any future events that you (laughs) Thank you. much for taking the time out to chat to us and for all your wisdom and everything that you've shared oh thanks fiona it was so nice to talk to you too thanks again no worries bye okay bye oh that was so lovely chatting to elise every time i've talked to her she's just been so grounded and genuine and lovely and i just think What an amazing small business owner to learn from and so many tips and insights she gave today. Of course, we will list out all of the links that she mentioned, the platforms, the people over on the show notes, and you can find them at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 106 as this is episode 106. I would love to know what you took away from that conversation with Elise. What really stood out to you? What kind of resonated? What made you maybe think differently about things? For me, two things really stood out. One was her idea of you can reimagine what's already there. I see that so often with small business owners. They are constantly looking for new, new, new. What can I talk about that I haven't talked about before? What can I mention that no one's seen? How can I photograph this in a different way? And I think sometimes we forget, firstly, that if you're using platforms like Instagram, you know, even your most engaged followers are not seeing every single thing that you've done. You can repurpose content. But also that there's often so much gold that we think is boring or no one would be interested in that or it's just so common for us that we can't see the magic in it. We can't see that it would be, you know, magnetic for somebody in terms of our marketing. And I think often when I work with small business owners on with coaching or group coaching is to really uncover 
the kind of content themes or the things that are of value to your audience. And then look at what you've already got. What have you already got that you could repurpose? I love the idea of reimagine what's already there as opposed to always thinking it has to be new, new, new. I talk about the buyer cycle quite a bit. And in the buyer cycle, there are five stages, awareness, research, evaluation, purchase, and post-purchase. And I love when Elise was talking about reimagine what's already there. If you can take that concept and then look at, say, the evaluation, so where somebody is evaluating whether you're the right fit for them, whether your product or service is the right thing for them, what can you do in the evaluation space that is going to lead them to purchase? What could you reimagine from what you've already got that is going to lead them? So it could be talking about you know, your packaging practices like Plyroom recently did on Instagram. It could be talking about your business journey. It could be talking about how you've worked with XYZ client and you were able to get these type of results. It could be talking about the experience that you've had, talking about your skill sets, how you've up-leveled. All these different things will help somebody evaluate whether you're right for them and hopefully be guided into the purchase area of the buyer cycle. So that's one thing. The first thing that really stood out, which is reimagine what's already there. The second thing I loved was that she talked about having to get really serious and look at her numbers. And she mentioned a few times the idea that it is about profit, not about revenue. And when I work with clients, we always talk about money. At the start, we always talk about money, values, beliefs, those kind of things. Because if you can get those three right, you've got a fantastic business opportunity ahead of you. So I love that she talked about looking at profit not just revenue. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with where the revenue looks amazing. It's much like Instagram followers. They look amazing, but then what's the engagement? And in revenue terms, what's the profit? So those two things really stood out to me. I would love to know what stood out to you. So don't be a stranger. You can come on to Instagram. I'm at my daily business coach, or you can go and find Elise and she's at Plyroom, P-L-Y-R-O-O-M. Again, if you're interested in learning more about Plyroom, you can find out more at plyroom.com.au. But yeah, come on over to Elise or myself or both of us and let us know what you took most from this episode. Again, all the show notes, links to everything Elise mentioned will be available at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 106. So that is it for today's episode. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified of our episodes as soon as they launch. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.